as an exercise during this episode. I would like you to imagine the environment in which it's being recorded based only on the audio. Give it a try. And if you're feeling descriptive and interested in interaction, consider leaving a voice message and tell us what you imagined. You're listening to the Casting Shadows podcast, and this episode will hopefully be brief, and its main topic will be about the question of imagination, and it will also serve as a framework to share calls that have come in to the show. I started playing role-playing games in 1983. And since just before I went to university, so 86, 87, somewhere around there, I started asking people how they imagine. This question, historically, has thrown a lot of people. Some people were very willing and able to talk about their experience of their own imagination. But a not insignificant number of people didn't really know how to begin. And I found that interesting. It might be why I kept asking the question. I've never met anybody who, sitting down face-to-face and talking about imagination, was ultimately unable to describe their experience of their own imagination. But in other contexts, such as this one, or in text forums and the like, I have found people who give up on the conversation. Which isn't to say that they're not interested. It isn't to say that they're rejecting the question. But it tends to indicate to me that it's difficult to put into words something that is so fundamental to our daily lives. Similar to how do you walk, how do you talk, how do you see, how do you breathe, what is your experience of your own breathing, you know, this kind of thing. There can be a challenge of putting this all into words which doesn't mean it's not worth asking and thinking about. In fact, I think it beckons us to think about it, to ask about it, to inquire about it. Now, in previous episodes in the, what shall we say, imagination, attention, and immersion series, we've talked about things like aphantasia, where... A person has no capacity to form mental images. And some of the people that I've been speaking to in this series are not really sure that this actually exists, but then other people have 
contacted us and let us know that for them, mental imagery is shadowy or dim. I've met people who basically imagine in black and white. I've met people who are able to imagine situations clearly, like a person is standing under a street lamp. They can imagine the street lamp. They can imagine the light and darkness of that situation. But the details of the person cannot come into focus, even if they really try. And the more they try, the more that mental image breaks apart, like smoke or fog. Now, some among us, some of the people that I have spoken to, some of them are artists, some of them are not, speak of very strong and resilient images. Images that might rouse them from daydreaming or images that might rouse them from sleep even. And this image is so bright in their minds that they feel compelled to record it down on paper or whatever their medium of art is. Imagination seems to be as varied as we are. And I find that fascinating too. Over the course of this series, I have been trying, and not always successfully, to be careful about the idea of conception or conceiving of something and imagining it. Because for me, I find it very difficult to separate the notion of imagination from mental imagery, because that's really how my imagination works. If I am in a situation where I can let my mind roam free, where I'm free to imagine, I can summon up visual imagery. It's usually quite detailed. There are aspects that I notice in hindsight are not defined or are ephemeral in such a way that they are mutable as the description comes in, say, from in a role-playing game. And maybe this is a learned skill, like a survival mechanism, uh, according to my own preferences, but the, the mental image I get of a situation, of a scene, of a mountain, of a, a riverbed, or a, you know, a cyberpunk street in a dystopian future, or a gunman lurking behind a dumpster, That first image is strikingly clear. It's in full color. It often includes audio. And imagined audio, I should say. Not hallucinated audio, but the understanding of the audio. And This is what I mean by it can be difficult to talk about how we imagine, but... The more we talk about it, the more real our imagination becomes, I find. As further description comes in from the game master or from a fellow player, these details shift. Sometimes this is jarring and sometimes this is more like the image forming. I definitely prefer the secondary experience. But... This is all something that's happening in the back of the mind. It doesn't obscure my vision of the room. Even if I close my eyes, I'm still sitting in darkness, and yet I'm holding an image in my mind somewhere else, somewhere separate from my 
optic nerve, somewhere different from my olfactory senses and my auditory senses. It happens, but it's somehow separate. And I think over the years I have learned how to hold that image against the shattering influence of distraction. But not always. So it's because of that I feel that some of my basic preferences about playing a role-playing game from a first-person perspective, from that first-person perspective for the goal of having an experience of the imagined situation that play brings about, to be in a situation in my imagination that I might never get to experience or that I do get to experience, but I would like to take it farther than I might be allowed in the real world and that sort of thing. I'm very unlikely to survive an encounter with a large, scaled, fire-breathing beast. But in my imagination, with my wit and with my friends arrayed with me, I just might. And that's pretty exciting. Also, over the years, during these conversations, I've discovered that there are people that I play with, that I have played with, and likely that I will play with in the future, who can imagine, who can imagine similarly to me, or as vibrantly, if differently, who don't imagine anything while they're role-playing. They, it's not that they choose not to imagine anything, it just, they started out playing and it never occurred to them to imagine what was happening in the way that they imagine, whether that is visual or in some other way, some other way to conceive of the ideas and information brought forward by play. They just don't. They can, but they don't. And they don't seem to miss it. And when we're playing in a particular way, such as when we're playing the type of game that asks us to express what we are imagining and share that so that we can all uniformly imagine the same thing and be able to manipulate it on that story layer or on, a, on an openly descriptive layer that's shared between all of us. In that case, it matters because now they're doing something that they've never ever done before while many of the rest of us are doing something that is, by this point, of many decades of play, has become second nature. It comes largely unbidden. It's interesting. There are so many aspects of this hobby that differ. How do we speak to each other? How do we choose to bring the system into focus and let it fade into the background? Do we choose to imagine at all? What do we get immersed in? Do we get immersed in the application of system? Do we get immersed in the experience of the character? Do we get immersed in the laughter and camaraderie around the table? Do we never get immersed at all? Do we choose to play the same game? Do we relentlessly pursue new games? There's so many differences, but you would think maybe this one aspect of a activity 
like a role-playing game, would be similar for more of us than it actually turns out to be. Anyway, let's get to the calls. Our first call, and these calls are going to be presented in the order in which they came in. So our first call is from Spencer, also known as Free Thrall, from the Keep Off the Borderlands podcast. The new home of that strange creation, Movie Night, which is so very powerful and popular among we who were formerly anchorites, and now, I guess, we're just spots. But anyway, if we consider Movie Night to be something like Frankenstein, then Goblin's Henchman is the, the medical fellows at Ingolstadt University. And Jason Connerly then takes on the role of the young Dr. Victor Frankenstein. And Movie Night itself, as we said, is Frankenstein's monster, which means that Keep Off the Borderlands is a small cottage in an idyllic setting with a kind family dwelling within that gives the monster peace and respite from his woes near a gentle body of water in which things look lovely when they float. But anyway, Spencer is calling in in regard to the episode where I interacted across time and space with Safer of Safer Fantasy Crafting. And then the call branches out from there. So let's listen to Spencer. Hello, Spencer. Hello, Anthony. Spencer here. There are elements of this message which have been a long time coming, and I'm mainly harking back to Safer Fantasy Crafting's extended contribution from a few episodes ago. I, I was listening to that particular episode in the shower, and there were a few points I wanted to address, having been a player in one of the games that Safer was referencing. It's taken me some time to go back and re-listen to that episode in the hope of recapturing those fleeting shower thoughts. So here goes. First off, I want to say that I'm in the robust immersion camp. If something draws me out of a game, it's a bit like momentarily pausing a show I'm watching or looking up from a book I'm reading for whatever reason. I believe I can resume my immersion without too much trouble. The only time I can see that spoiling anything is if I'd unknowingly missed some detail that turns out to be a crucial piece of information further down the line. That message from Safer where he was referring to playing a teenager who was becoming increasingly frustrated with this conversation that was going on between the elder members of two different families. 
and his character going against protocol, interrupting this seemingly quite formal and perhaps obtuse discussion of a sensitive issue of the murder of his character's father, my character's son. What occurred to me when Sofer was talking about his feelings of overstepping the mark as a player, my recollection is that I felt it was perfectly fitting in that situation, this impassioned teenager having to endure listening to the prevaricating elders. If Barney, who was GMing the game, did throw Safer a, a look at that point, it certainly wasn't something that I picked up on. As I say, I felt it was perfectly fitting and took it as a transgression of the in-world etiquette. While Safer there clearly felt it was a transgression of table etiquette. This brought to mind another situation in another game where Barney misinterpreted a look that I threw him during play. This was a very rare occasion in which I was running a dungeon for Barney and I was um, playing the part of a disgruntled undead guard who'd been cursed with the duty of protecting this tomb for all eternity and was very displeased by the whole arrangement. I was grimacing in character and Barney thought that I was trying to communicate as the GM my displeasure with his choice of action at the player level. And I'm not sure if that's entirely relevant, actually, but I feel it does show how easy it is to misinterpret at what level we are engaging at any given time. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't match up. Um, I made a similar mistake to Safer when imagining that discussion around the fire that he was talking about. In my mind, we were in some kind of Viking mead hall. That was what I was picturing as opposed to the more prehistoric setting we were actually in. But at that time, when we were immersed in that conversation, did it really matter what the nature of the surface, the shadows from the fire are being cast upon? Um, I'd say probably not not as much as the gravity of what was being discussed or even the thought of that light falling on the faces of those in discussion perhaps the 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 warmth the smell and the comfort a warm fire offers um i think your observation of the absence of awareness of passing time is a very good measure of immersion. Immersion for me is very much along those lines. But no matter how unaware I might be of how much time has passed, the the fact that I'm playing a game is never lost on me. Now, despite being in that robust immersion camp, I do have my limits. I play solely online, partly due to my location, 
but mainly due to physical limitations. I have multiple sclerosis, which without going into detail, means that negotiating with the physical world can be particularly challenging. So the possibility of engaging in an activity that offers the opportunity of setting all that aside for just a few hours is a very attractive one. However, there are limits. And my limits are around the two and a half hour mark. I mean, there comes a point at which I'm no longer able to feel physically comfortable enough. No matter how good the game is, no matter how much I've been enjoying it up to that point, if the session goes beyond that barrier at which I can no longer comfortably sit, at at that point I'm mentally willing the session to come to an end. And I can, I can engage it in the sense that I'm still aware of what's occurring in the game, but I am no longer able to really immerse myself because I become very aware of the time and the fact that my attention is split between what's occurring in game and what I'm having to deal with in my physical reality. And and there we are. I think that's. Uh, that's as much as I have to say. I've very much been enjoying the extended discussion of this topic. So thank you for that. And um, it's high time I gave you your show back. Take care. Thank you very much for that call in, Spencer. You may have felt like it was a long call, but I didn't even really notice the passage of time. I think it's really cool when we can get other eyewitness reports or earwitness reports or hangouts witness reports, whatever, of a moment of play. How things strike us and and what activities that we are actually doing while we are playing, as you rightly point out, aren't reliably observable. What we think is happening what we think someone is thinking, what we think someone's reaction is, might not be the case at all. Or it might be right on the money, but we never know. (laughs) So I really think this is valuable. And I imagine if we were to ask Barry what his recollection is of these moments, then he would add in some different perspective and different detail and different interpretation, which would, you know, further shape our understanding of what may have actually happened But I really think in in this kind of case, it's important to first understand what we think happens and and what it means to us. So I really appreciate that. Then, the notion of resilient immersion, I think, is a really interesting one to explore. For many people, whether it's their own personal experience or they're just repeating something that they heard, online, and how can you tell, we get the notion, we get the idea that immersion is always fleeting, it's always ephemeral. And we can look at that in two ways. One, that it is finite. It will come to an end at some point. There, You will have to roll dice, and that may end your 
immersive response, or you will have to get up and go to the bathroom or adjust your seating or make room for someone else or, you know, any one of a thousand other things can happen around you and cause your ability to focus your attention or to enjoy the focus of your attention on what you are experiencing can be interrupted. Immersion is finite. Depending on how much we like it may determine how short that seems to us, especially in hindsight, when we have to rely on our memory. Knowing our limits, I think, is another really important point that you raise up. I personally find it very difficult to play for a long time online. I end up feeling quite isolated from the players, even though I'm connected to them in a way that wasn't possible before video conferencing. So I'm weirdly thankful yet frustrated by the technology. I'd like to be able to see more of their body language. I'd like to be able to see more detail in their facial expressions. That might not be possible with the way that our connection you know, renders the size and renders the quality of the video that we're receiving, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's really interesting to know your limits and uh, should I sit in the very comfortable chair <laughs> or should I sit in a less comfortable chair? Can I get up and walk around? Uh, can we express ourselves more physically in relationship with what's going on and will this hinder or assist and that kind of stuff? It really is a deep topic and thank you for broaching it. It will become relevant a little later. All right, let's transition to the next call. Hey there, Anthony, it's Che from Roleplay Rescue. A belated call in really to say, first of all, thank you for playing that bizarre conversation we had about uh, mentoring. Um, it was, it's really, really cool. You should know that the kid who we were talking about is now back to playing 5e and building his own game. So that's kind of cool. Um, but also just want to say thank you for having uh, Daniel Jones on. I always love hearing Daniel Jones. And it seems like you've kind of kicked him back into doing his own podcast as well. So um, it's really great to see Primeval Fantasy back on the air, as well as him coming on your show. And um, yeah, I know Daniel's uh, tastes and everything are sort of out on the fringe, as it were. But um, he does have some incredible insight into if you wanted another world immersion, how to get there, you know, totally inspiring to me. Um, so yeah, thank you for drawing him deeper into the conversation, you know, um, and into what you're, what you're doing, because what you're doing is amazing stuff and, um, just really deep thinking, really good, um, open kind of conversation. And I appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Hope you're well. Game on. Thank you very much for the call, Che. And again, thank you very much for our bizarre conversation on mentoring. Of the two of us, I guess I'm the one who found it less bizarre. Uh, but hopefully it was entertaining for people and not too difficult for you to listen to. But I am glad that you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Daniel Jones. I very much enjoyed it myself. And I hope that, uh, that he and I will be able to get together to talk about other things where our interests align or maybe other things where our interests clash so that one way or the other we can explore the topic in a you know in an open and friendly way but anyway thank you very much for the support and uh, i have just listened to your 
recent new conversation with Daniel, and that's something I'm going to call into your show to talk to you about. So get ready. Hey, Anthony, just calling in about your latest immersion episode. Um, you, 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 you mentioned that there's a conflation between imagination and immersion. And I wanted to say that I, I, I don't think there is because I don't feel you can have immersion without imagination. <laughs> you have to imagine stuff in order to be immersed in it because that stuff isn't really happening to you. So you have to put yourself in an alternate place, which involves imagination. And I also wanted to mention that, and you sort of touched on it, but for me, immersion, one, it's it's not all that important for me personally. It's not something I need or crave when I'm playing games, but I do enjoy it when it happens. But it's very much dependent on the other players and especially the dungeon master. Because if, you know, if everyone's joking around, that makes immersion a lot, a lot harder. Uh, and also, <laughs> I found that being in an alternate state helps with immersion. The most immersed I've ever been was back when we were playing Merp. I was probably 10 to 12 years old. We had been up all night long drinking Coca-Cola, eating goldfish crackers. And when I went to the bathroom, I, I might have told this story before, but when I went to go pee out in the dark hallway, I swear I saw the bad guy that we were fighting and his evil red eyes because I was that into the world that it 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 consumed me so even when I stepped away from the table I was still totally immersed in the game and it scared the crap out of me and it was awesome <laughs> but yeah those are just some thoughts on your amazing series on immersion it's seriously it's so in-depth and just deep that it, it's fantastic dude keep it up I'll talk to you later. Peace out. I don't know about you, but I feel like any episode that features a call from Joe Richter of the Hindsightless podcast automatically triples in his energy and enthusiasm output. And I love it. All right, Joe. I guess I must have buried the lead in that particular episode because uh, I'm in total agreement with you that in part. If you are visually imagining the situation, so an immersion in scene, or if you are visually imagining the perspective of the character, so immersion in character, then what does that actually mean? Well, that would mean, according to how I've been trying to explain it, that you have created in your head, you have imagined visual and maybe auditory and maybe tactile and, and other sensory information. You've imagined those details. And where the immersion part comes in is not the imagining. It's not the mental imagery. It's not the understanding or empathy with the character or the, abil the ability to to visualize or otherwise conceptualize that situation. Where immersion comes into it is 
we become enthralled by it. We become immersed in it through the vehicle of attention. It grabs our attention. It holds our attention. For some reason, we are motivated enough to pay so much attention to that element, that imaginary thing in our minds, that other things receive less attention. They drift into the background. And one of the signifiers of this is losing track of time or being less concerned about physical comfort or discomfort or this sort of thing. Like a flow state for the imagination. But that's not all, or that's not the only thing in which we can immerse. And so out there in... In typical conversation about immersion, what people are talking about is immersion in character. But, as you know, we can discover by talking to people, not everybody does that. Not everybody immerses in character or even bothers to visualize or imagine the scene. They operate on an entirely different level and they might, excuse me, they might become immersed in the social aspects of it. They just get caught up in the camaraderie of it. Or they might get caught up in the use of the system. They're, they're leaning over a battle map, and there's miniatures, and there's dice, and there's all kinds of rules. And they really get invested. They really get engaged, to use the terminology I've been using in this series. They really get engaged in what they are doing. They're moving things. They're rolling dice. They're they're barking orders at imaginary henchmen and, and the like. But through it all, they lose track of time. They don't care so much about their personal comfort or discomfort. And whatever it is that they're paying attention to has the entirety of their attention, the entirety of their focus. They are immersed in doing that thing, which is really why I like to split this topic up into immersion as being a more receptive mode where we are listening to description and it is sparking some kind of reaction in us and engagement where we are actually doing something more actively and that thing, whatever it is that we're doing, can also be the focus of attention and therefore if we pay it enough attention to enough exclusion of other things, it will be immersive. So that's what I was trying to go for. That's what I mean by a lot of people conflate this one thing we can get immersed in and one vehicle toward immersion or one route toward immersion as being all that immersion is. Turns out it's not the case. Your second point about being in altered states, such as sleep deprivation, 100% agreement. I have a very troubled relationship with sleep. The two of us don't get along. We hardly ever even spend time together in the same house. So, I definitely feel that once you start crossing the threshold of not really enough sleep, then certain things like immersion or certain things like striking 
vibrant imagination become much more possible and involving more senses. So I'm totally with you there. But I hope you didn't actually pee in the hall or crap there. Anyway, thanks for the call in. Our last call comes from Jason Connerly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Take it away, Jason. Hey, Anthony, Jason here. Enjoyed your conversation with Crispy. Thought it was very good, very informative, some great things bandied about. Um, now I'm sad I'm not in Crispy's game. <laughs> Anyhow, um, I do have a question that's a little bit off topic from that specific episode and goes more in the immersion thing, and it may not apply yet in this discussion. So if this question should be held for six months till we get to that point in the discussion, that's cool. But at what point do the proliferation of mega currency and meta mechanics and all these kind of things, pushing rolls and using bennies and having doom pools and, you know, at what point does that potentially get in the way of immersion? And do those kind of meta mechanics upset the cart more than just rolling dice normally? Are, are those kind of more gamey things that we have to step back from the table and count the pile of chips in front of us to do something? Is that more of a barrier to immersion? But again, that may not be the question for this point in time. Keep up the great work. Loving everything that you're doing. Talk to you soon. Oh, Happy New Year. Hey, Jason. Thanks for the very juicy call. In the response I just gave to Joe, I touched on this a little bit, but when we think about the interaction between the player and things like metacurrency or games where we will openly discuss how we're going to use the system to shape the story intentionally on that story layer, for some of us, that will not be an immersive experience at all, but it could become so. I definitely find that things that we don't enjoy doing, it's difficult to pay attention to them in the way that's required to have that focus grab so much of your attention that the experience becomes immersive, right? We just don't like it. I also find this in cases where something is new and unfamiliar. We don't feel confident or relaxed, that kind of thing. Not in every case, because there have been many examples in my life where I've started playing a new game, and I'm not really sure how it works, and I'm not really sure about these people that I'm playing with, but something about the play grabs my attention to you know, that level, where suddenly I'm imagining so strongly that it's almost like being there. That's that immersive experience. How did that happen? The very first time I played Battletech was an example of that. And, you know, that's a kind of game that can overwhelm a new player with lots of details like modifiers and, and the different lore that is represented on any particular battlefield that you might be imagining. So it is possible, I think, to in an unbidden sense, to surprise yourself by falling into an immersive state. But 
games where, as you're talking about, we are heavily involved with metacurrency, there's an active discussion going on and people are playing for a particular vision to come about. They're talking about the possibilities. We could do this or we could do that if it's very collaborative. Or they could be less collaborative. The game could be more about earning the opportunity to make specific decisions at at important points in play to take the story in different directions. You're playing for that ability to, to have that kind of control in that moment. So collaboratively or more competitively, this is a very engaging situation to find oneself in. So if that's something that is interesting, if that's something that that fires up your imagination, you've got lots of ideas and you're trying to figure out how to leverage the resources that the game provides and the, and the interactions of the other players, if you can bring all of that to bear to produce a really satisfying and cool outcome, I think that could very easily be very immersive. It would not be immersive in character, but it would be immersive. Awesome call. It is just the right time for it. And if everything works out, I think I'll be having a conversation relevant to this particular point and the the layers of play that were described in earlier episodes, how they come together in a practical sense for the game master to think about how this particular game and these particular people interact and where we can focus our attention to get better results. Anyway, thanks again for the call. Thanks as always for everything that you do. It's like you're everywhere all the time. And and if you're going to be spending less time on podcasting, I know that you're going to be missed. Even if you still (laughs) release episodes every week, you're going to be missed. Anyway, one last section for this episode, and then we're done. And that section is what I was just alluding to. It's a little bit of a practical look at all of this. As we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this episode is focused primarily on imagination. Which, if you, like me, are mainly interested in role-playing games where we have the opportunity to play in character in some way, on some level, in character as character, in character as author, in character as observer. (laughs) was one we were talking about the other day. However you like to go about it, imagination, that visual sense, coupled with other senses from the character's perspective depends heavily on imagination. If your enjoyment comes from some other aspect of the game, then this particular set of tips and observations is going to be less relevant for you. But the rest of the immersion series may have something of value for you in it somewhere. But 
What is the point of talking about and exploring the idea of imagination in this way? Why would I, for decades, ask people about their own experience of imagination? Well, it comes down to actually running the game. Preparation for running the game and then the implementation of that preparation in the game. Now, if you've listened to the previous episode where I talked with Table Runner, where I talked with Crispy, Chris, the notion of preparation for improvisation came up again. And this is my focal point. This is the way that I like to prepare. But the actual method of preparation is far less relevant than understanding where preparation is needed. You might be a a no-prep GM for real, in which case, good luck to you. (laughs) I don't mean that in a negative way. (laughs) You might be a no-prep GM not for real, and you might be a, a light or a heavy or you know over the top prep GM. None of that is particularly relevant, but it's what you choose to prep that is relevant for this, and is why I'm talking about imagination. Now I was lucky that thanks to a recommendation by Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, I listened to an episode of The Whispering GM, which was called Confessions of a High Prep GM. Now, I don't tend to talk really at all about hex crawls and a procedurally generated exploration. I don't tend to talk about the actual play of Dungeons & Dragons. So if you are interested in hearing an excellent conversation about preparation, its strengths and weaknesses and pitfalls and the benefits of high prep and the the benefits of low prep and what you might be trading off, then I would highly recommend going to listen to that episode. It's fascinating. And while it's not explicitly mentioned in that episode, you can hear that what the Whispering GM is talking about in preparing that fantasy world or those fantasy worlds he's speaking of, you can clearly hear that we can encounter problems in having imagined something that is not there, not having imagined something that is there, and not being able to form a conception or idea or a mental image of things which are going to be important if we're going to be able to play to the depth and with the freedom and the enjoyment that we would like and expect from a role-playing game. So while he doesn't openly talk about imagination, it's everywhere in that episode. So that's why I recommend it. Knowing how you yourself imagine, I think, is extremely valuable because that's your default. When you get tired, when you are not satisfactorily prepared for your own comfort or for the dynamism of your players, when you are 
not ready or where you're con confused or thrown for a loop or whatever, you are going to fall back to descriptions and, and actions, reactions, and interactions that build from your imagination or your conception of the situation. You're going to serve yourself. And I mean this whether you are a game master or, or whether you are a player, right? All of these things are players in my mind. And if you're playing the game through the role of the game master or if you're playing through the role of a character, we all sink down to our default. And our default, in this case, is how we imagine. So I think it's really important to know how we imagine. Are we primarily visual? Is visual less important? Do we generate or do we have the ability to generate a high degree of detail? Do we usually not bother to actually imagine what things look like or what things sound like or how things smell? Do we not have a habit of connecting our own sense experience, our own memories of places and people and things, are we not in the habit of connecting them? Right? Then we won't when we're pressed. Why is that relevant? Because the other people at the table may not, in fact it seems likely, will not be crafting their imagined situations out of the same material as you. So preparation should involve an understanding of description. What do things look like? Is there anything else that's particularly noteworthy about the sensations of a place, such as the temperature or the windiness? Is there grit in the air? What about the smells? Are there distant sounds? Are there constant or regular sounds that, that make up the place? What do all of these senses contribute to your description? Are they worth it? Are they additive? Or are they just distraction? These are things to think about. As well as, what senses can I use to heighten the experience of the players? What are the things that they are weak in imagining that I can help bolster through my description? And what are the things that they are strong in imagining so that I can dial that back and let them fill it in because that is their nature. That is the way that they imagine. What is the balance of these talents and weaknesses, these strengths and weaknesses in the group in terms of our imagination. Do none of us actually bother to imagine anything? Do we want to start? Right. These are questions that I think are helpful to have as part of your preparation. And it can expand opportunities for immersion if that's particularly interesting for you. In that once that description is practiced and flows naturally, becomes a part of how you present scenes or how you present your character action, reaction, and interaction, 
then that is a load lifted. That part of play becomes easier and it contributes to others' experience of play, which creates this more vibrant imagined situation of play, and that is a common trigger for immersion in character. It's also one of the ways that we have fun. I find people, their moods tend to be lifted when the thing that we're doing as a group, when we get the sense that we're doing it well. That is more fun, and more fun is contagious. And then as we start to have fun together as a group, that in itself can lead to more focused attention because how long can we keep this going? How well can we do this? And that itself is another road to immersion. There are many roads to immersion. There are many things in which to immerse, and imagination is but one of them. But as this is a descriptive hobby set almost entirely in our ability to communicate with each other through language, whether that be written or spoken or signed or what have you. The role of the imagination never really fully goes away for at least someone at the table. And usually that's the game master or it's someone who will in the future become one. Or at least I like to imagine that's the case. Anyway, thank you for your time and attention to this episode. Thank you very much for everyone who has called in. I'll have links to all of the shows for all of the callers. Now, I've asked a few times over the last few episodes for people to call in and describe their own experience of their own imagination. This is still open. Whenever I've collected enough, that episode will come out and we'll, t you know, we'll hear what people have to say about their own imagination. But it's kind of difficult to start from a blank slate. So let me refine things for you. I'd like you to try and imagine a daytime scene in a ruined castle with a broken staircase upon which sits one of your companions. What do you imagine? What details, what types of details are a part of your mental image or mental conception of that scene? What do you see in your mind's eye? Do you hear something? Do you smell something? Do you feel something? Call it in. Take a few minutes, two or three minute recording and send it to me through the information in the show description, such as SpeakPipe or sending me a message on Discord. Now, at the beginning of the show, we mentioned, please feel free to imagine my environment with all the different sounds and whatnot in the background. If you played that game at home, 
feel free to call in and let me know what came to mind for that as well. But anyway, this episode has reached its conclusion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Casting Shadows podcast. You can find us here where you're listening to it now and on YouTube at Runeslinger is the way to find me on YouTube. And you can find the Casting Shadows blog at castingshadowsblog.com. Until the next time, take care.